What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is how extraordinary this is. The editorial board of the Financial Times. I mean, you look up conservative newspaper, ethical conservative newspaper in the dictionary, and there's a picture of the Financial Times. The Financial Times has always been, oh, lower taxes, less regulation. No, we need, you know. Well, this is the editorial board of the Financial Times. This is the official voice of the world's most respected independent financial newspaper. The Wall Street Journal, of course, has become a joke since Rupert Murdoch bought it. But the Financial Times is still respected around the world. Here's what they have to say. I'm just going to read you a couple sentences from this. It was April 3rd. If there's a silver lining to the COVID-19 pandemic, it's that it has injected a sense of togetherness into polarized societies. But beyond defeating the disease, the great test all countries will soon face is whether current feelings of common purpose will shape society after the crisis. And then they point out, you know, we learned this during the Great Depression and World War II. To demand collective sacrifice, you must offer a social contract that benefits everyone. And then they add, and I think, you know, pointing at you, the United States, Today's crisis is laying bare how far many rich societies fall short of this ideal. And then they continue radical reform. Now, keep in mind, this is the editorial board of the Financial Times. FT.com. Radical reforms. Dash. Reversing the prevailing policy direction of the last four decades. Dash. They're calling for a repudiation of Reaganomics and Thatcheronomics around the world. Radical reforms reversing the prevailing policy direction of the last four decades will need to be put on the table. Governments will have to accept a more active role in the economy. They must see public services as investments rather than liabilities and look for ways to make labor markets less insecure. Redistribution will again be on the agenda. The privileges of the elderly and the wealthy in question. Policies until recently considered eccentric such as basic income and wealth taxes, will have to be in the mix. The friggin' Financial Times is calling for a wealth tax. Well, we already, of course, we already have a wealth tax in the United States. It's only paid for by the middle class. 
It's called property taxes. Every year, your wealth, most of your wealth is in your home. And every year, you have to pay a tax on it. You know, I pay five, $6,000, whatever it is, a year in property taxes just to have a house here. That's, that's a wealth tax. But billionaires don't pay wealth taxes. So, you know, the Financial Times. So they, they continue the Financial Times. The leaders who won the war did not wait for victory to plan what would follow. Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill issued the Atlantic Charter, setting the course for the United Nations in 1941. That's four years before the end of the war. The UK published the Beverage Report, its commitment to universal welfare state, in 1942. Four years, three years before the end of the war. In 1944, the Bretton Woods Conference forged the post-war financial architecture. That kind of foresight is needed today, writes the Financial Times. It's time for the entire friggin' developed world to go back to repudiate Reaganomics and Thatcheronomics and go back to Keynesian demand-side economics. Beyond the public health war, true leaders will mobilize now to win the peace says the Financial Times. The Financial You're Times! to the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is our buddy, Professor Richard Wolf, the economist, co-founder of democracyatwork.info, the author of numerous books, his most recent, Understanding Socialism, democracyatwork.info, of course, and R.D. Wolf with two Fs, Dot com are his websites, and you can tweet him at uh, Prof Wolf, P-R-O-F-W-O-L-F-F. Professor Wolf, welcome back to the program. And Thank you, so Tom. Glad us. to be here. So uh, I have two questions for you, and uh, I'm not sure if they're kind of the same thing or they're co- completely different. But um, the first is, you know, we're all we're all hearing about the two point something trillion dollars that these three uh, packages, almost three trillion dollars that these three packages that Congress has passed that are going to be funded with with um, the Treasury issuing bonds, essentially borrowing money. Um, but there's also reports of the Fed. Well, this morning, the Financial Times was talking about the Fed is going to push, excuse me, $2.3 trillion out. Um, I'm not sure exactly to who or under what circumstances. And I've seen other reports that they're going to push out as much as $4 trillion. What's the difference between those two, and where does that Fed money come from, number one? And number two, will we ever get back to normal again? And if so, what will it look like? What will that transition be? Okay. Um, Let's start with what seems to be, uh, and pardon my humor, it's just I get these questions so often that that they become kind of funny in the repetition. People are mystified, which I understand. Mm -hmm. Where does that money come from? in both the cases of the U.S. Treasury uh, doing what Congress passes and the Federal Reserve uh, doing pretty much what it likes. So let's start with the Federal Reserve. Here's the thing that's so difficult. The Federal Reserve creates as much money as it thinks the situation requires. It creates it out of nothing. That's very important for people to understand, however discomforting it might be. That's their job. They used to do it in the physical sense of printing the paper bills and coining uh, the coins that we use, the quarters and the nickels and the dimes. Nowadays, they don't do it that way. Most money is now electronic. So by clicking, hitting a key on a computer somewhere in Washington, a million dollars shows up in somebody's account. 
it was created by the click of that mouse pad and that mouse in some corporate executive's office in the Federal Reserve. So they create money in the literal sense of that term. And the part of the crisis we're in now that they play is they have decided, the Federal Reserve, that the economy needs a ton of new money. This comes, mind you, after 20 years of record-breaking increases in the quantity of money that the Federal Reserve has produced and injected into the economy. So it comes on top of all of that. Here are trillions of additional out-of-thin-air-created dollar bills uh, and accounts at banks. And the people who get this money are overwhelmingly banks. some insurance companies, some companies that themselves issue bonds will now be able to uh, give them to the Federal Reserve, which will quote-unquote buy them using the fresh new money that they have created out of nothing to pay for them. And the whole idea is, think of it as, a, as an automobile metaphor, which isn't working real well, and you've decided that the problem isn't the motor or the condenser or this or that, it's lubrication, it's oil. And so you, you take a can of oil and you spray it into the front of the automobile or wherever the, all the equipment is, and you hope that this lubrication of literally everything with an immense dose of oil will get the thing running again. That's what the Federal Reserve is doing. Money is like oil. It makes the world go round. It makes American capitalism function, they hope. Um, and that's what they're doing. So that, that's the two to four trillion you hear about from time to time. Since the Federal Reserve has no oversight, there's really nobody in charge of the Federal Reserve. They're in charge of themselves. They're given by intent independence, both from the Congress and from the executive branch. They're out there doing what they think is appropriate. They have conferences and discussions with others in the government, but they are their own thing. Now let's turn to the to government itself, Mr. Trump uh, and the two houses of Congress. What they do is a completely different thing. They are not allowed to create or print money. That, that right is given to the Federal Reserve exclusively. So what the Treasury does It has to get whatever money it wants to pump into the economy, and they're now talking, as you said, about the $2.2 trillion, more or less. They have to get that either by taxing the people of this country, the people of the businesses, or by borrowing it. Those are the only two ways they can get the money that they want to inject into the economy. It would make no sense to tax because then the money the, the government injects into the economy would be offset by the money it's pulling out in the way of taxes. So it doesn't do that. What does it do? It borrows the money. Well, here it gets kind of cute. Who does it borrow the money from? Well, the only people who lend to the government are very, very wealthy individuals and banks and insurance companies and large corporations. Nobody else is a major player uh, in this business, with one exception, and that's foreign governments. So when the United States government borrows money, it borrows from rich people, corporations, insurance companies, banks, and foreign governments. 
For example, and this blows Americans' minds too, as it should, the largest creditor of the United States government is the People's Republic of China. The United States is the largest debtor country in the world. That is, our government has borrowed more than any other government, and nobody else is close. And the, com- the government that has lent to the United States is the People's Republic of China. Uh, but they've also borrowed from all kinds of other sources. So for them to do what they're doing is basically saying to corporations and the rich, look, we're in a crisis. You have no place to use your money. Your money is sitting there doing you no good, and it's not good for the economy that it isn't active. So here's the deal. Lend it to us, the U.S. government. We will not only pay you back, we'll pay you interest while we hold it, and we're going to make sure it gets spent. So that's really what this government stimulus is about. It's taking money doing nothing from people who have a lot of money doing nothing, which excludes 90% of our population, of course. It borrows from the rich in order to keep going an economy that is dominated by those same rich institutions. If this sounds incestuous, good, then I've been clear in my explanation. The fact that both the Fed wants to create trillions of new money after doing it for 20 years, and that the Treasury and the, and the Congress want to inject another several trillion, gives you an idea of how severely depressed the U.S. economy now is. I get it. <laughs> I absolutely get it. I'm guessing probably next week our topic should be what does recovery look like and how does it take place. Do you see any uh, problems with the Fed doing this? Enormous problems. Enormous problems. You know, people like to say, well, the Fed did it last time. It didn't make an inflation. It did. The inflation was in the stock market, which has now crashed. That's a very serious bad side effect. Yeah, okay, and we can dig into that a little deeper next week, too. Professor Richard Wolf, democracyatwork.info, rdwolf with two fs.com. You can tweet him at Prof. Wolf. Professor Wolf, thank you again for dropping by. My pleasure. Thank you, Tom. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's up? November is fast approaching, and, and John Schwartz wrote a very important, in my opinion, a very important op-ed for The Intercept last weekend titled, The Democratic Party Must Harness the Legitimate Rage of Americans, Otherwise the Right Will Use It with Horrifying Results. And in it, he highlights how vulture capitalism and Trump have allowed all this death and suffering to occur, but predicts that beyond the unfolding tragedy, that just like during the Great Depression, we're going to experience a collective rage, and that the fate of the 2020 election will be decided by whether Joe Biden follows in the footsteps of FDR and organizes and harnesses the anger. And the key to doing that, according to Schwartz, is to make people angry at the crime, unquote, which I think he took from John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath. And to show unequivocally that the Democrats are fighting mad and on the side of the people. And the alternative, if Biden fails to do it, Tom, Schwartz predicts Trump and the right-wingers will co-opt the rage and will go down the same path as Germany and Italy in the 1930s, something you talked about. I agree with that analysis, Jeff. So, Assuming uh, you're Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I really encourage you and everybody to check it out. It's it's a really good read. To say we're approaching a monumental fork in the road is is quite an understatement. But, Mm -hmm. you know... 
I think that uh, Joe Biden's choice of running mate will tell us a lot about how he will probably govern. That said, I think that the circumstances are so much larger than any one candidate right now that any Democrat who is stepping forward is going to have just enormous pressure on him to basically pursue a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren kind of policy prescription for America, because it's increasingly obvious that's the only thing that's going to work. And I throw Elizabeth Warren in there in particular because she has all these plans to essentially re-regulate um, the industries and the banks and whatnot. You know, that's really, really important stuff. And I thought it was really impressive that a couple of days ago, Barack Obama called her out by name and nobody else as this decision is being made. But spot on, Jeff. And thanks for the tip on that Intercept article. I'll go looking for it. Bottom line, though, I think that Joe needs to pick soon and get into campaign mode. Time is wasted. Zach in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Zach, what's up? Do you think if at long last we let the financial sector take the fall when they mismanage airline companies, housing markets, and departments of government, uh, do you think they would change their behavior and behave differently if we actually... We're able to part out their failed companies and put any losses right straight back into the treasury. If we, if they knew there was not going to be a golden parachute for CEOs, and we're just going to take the losses, put it right back into the treasury, would they behave? Oh, in that case, perhaps. But I think the the more, yeah, I think the more important thing, Zach, rather than just restoring accountability, is to actually change the rules of the game. In 1999, a Republican Congress and a Democratic president did away with Glass-Steagall and allowed normal checkbook banks like Wells Fargo to start gambling with your deposits in your checking account, your savings account. And that led to the crash of 2008, and that's still here, and that's, that's one of the things that's going to be fueling this crash. And so we need to change the rules of the game. We need to go back to Glass-Steagall, and we need to go back to strong regulations of our banks. It's just very simple. West Wing Reads, this is a uh, basically a newsletter that goes out every day to, well, I get it, I'm assuming because I'm a member of the press, but I'm guessing that it goes out beyond just this. Uh, today, the headline, this is from the White House. In fact, it's got the White House logo on it. Democrats opt for blackmail over small business money and the media covers for them. What a deal for Democrats, the New York Post editorial board writes. They get to hold the economy for ransom and the media blithely cover for them. On Thursday, Senate Democrats nixed a simple but urgent request to boost cash in the emergency small business loan program Congress set up this month from $350 billion to $600 billion. Everything is an opportunity, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said. Right. This is the White House lying about the Democrats. The Democrats are saying, if you want to give that money out, you're going to have to give it to the people who actually need it rather than to the big banks. We're not going to authorize $250, $300 billion in additional money just for the big banks. Get over it. Meanwhile, Cory Gardner tweeted, Trump has approved National Guard assistance in Colorado following the request of members of the Colorado congressional delegation. And then Trump retweeted that saying, we'll be immediately sending 100 ventilators to Colorado at the request of Senator Cory Gardner. Now, in response to this, the Denver Post posted an editorial, their entire editorial board, or presumably maybe a majority of it, um, uh, wrote and published this op-ed. In just the latest example of his gross display, the president tweeted on Wednesday, we'll be immediately sending 100 ventilators to Colorado at the request of Senator Gardner. Trump has had only days before, excuse me, 
Trump had only days before prevented Colorado Governor Jarris Paulus from securing 500 ventilators from a private company, instead taking the ventilators for the federal government. And the board continues, we are left to believe that if Colorado didn't have a Republican senator in office, our state would not be getting these 100 ventilators. How many ventilators would we be getting if we had a Republican governor or a second Republican senator? Would that indicate we had more Republican lives in our state worth saving for Trump and resources would start flowing? Should Utah be concerned that Senator Mitt Romney voted to remove the president from office? You recall Trump has also told Mike Pence, don't call governors who aren't nice to us. Instead, they say Trump's messaging makes it feel as though he will watch with glee from the White House as people suffer in states being led by his enemies. Decisions are being made on a morally bankrupt basis, writes the Denver Post. I couldn't have said it better. Donald Trump, the Associated Press, is pointing out that Donald Trump has now blamed Six different people, groups, or entities for the coronavirus failures of his administration. First, writes the Associated Press, it was the media that was at fault. That was back in in January, right? Oh, the media is hyping this. They're trying to get you hysterical and frightened. Then, writes the Associated Press, Democratic governors came under fire. After that, it was China, President Barack Obama, and federal watchdogs have all had their turn in the crosshairs. And now it's the World Health Organization that's to blame. Right. Trump never takes responsibility for anything. Anything. Meanwhile, his uh, Office of the Director of National Intelligence tweeted an attack on CNN yesterday. The ODNI is is headed uh, by Richard Grinnell, a Trump loyalist. He's the acting director. They don't want to try and put him before Congress, uh, before the Senate, because it would reveal what what an incompetent boob the guy is. Uh, The story the ODNI is attacking is a bombshell. This is a raw story by David Badash of the New Civil Rights Movement. The story that the ODNI is attacking is a bombshell that destroys Donald Trump's claim that no one could have predicted the impending coronavirus. It says, quote, U.S. intelligence agencies started tracking coronavirus outbreaks in China as early as November. Recent news reports have shown Trump had 70 days to take action and failed to protect America. A CNN report extends that timeline by over a month, 100 days that Trump did nothing, more than three months. And the Office of the Director of National Intelligence says, it's, it's a phony article. They don't spe- specify what part of it is phony, because no part of it is phony, right? You know, it's very straightforward. Joe Biden, by the way, has uh, rolled out some new policies. He wants to let the Medicare eligibility age drop to 60. It's a start. You know, every year, let's drop it by 10 years. You know, that was one of the original conversations we had with Bernie Sanders on this program back 15 years ago or 12 years ago, 13 years ago, something like that, where, you know, we were talking about how, how would you make that transition? And he was like, well, you know, every year you could drop the eligibility age by 10 years or 20 years, you know, phase it in over four or five, six years. I think Biden is moving in that direction. He can't be seen as leaping into Bernie Sanders' positions. But I'm telling you, that, that old neoliberal right-wing austerity is good. At, you know, Like I said earlier, that dog don't hunt anymore. It, it is not going to work. 
Joe Biden is also calling for forgiving student debt for low-income and middle-class people, specifically people whose families earn less than $125,000 a year, who have incurred that debt in a public college or university. So his criteria is fairly narrow. Uh, how about just reversing the bankruptcy bill of 2005 and saying that, you know, if, you're a stu- if you've got student loan debt, you can declare bankruptcy on that? Because right now, this is insanely profitable for the banksters. You know, they know that people can't discharge their, uh, their liabilities. Speaking of discharging liabilities, <laughs> Donald Trump is trying to get out of a lawsuit. On Celebrity Apprentice... He was encouraging people, apparently on the air. Tom Arnold has been trying for years to get their hands on this unaired footage from Celebrity Apprentice. And back in October of two years ago, October 2018, four individuals filed a class action complaint against Trump, the Trump Corporation, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and Ivanka Trump, claiming that they were saying that all of them were saying that you should sign up for this uh, basically multi-level marketing scam and that they were doing it themselves, when in fact, actually, they were just being paid to tell people to sign up for it. And people signed up for it, and they lost their money. This is another story here. This is from uh, Reuters. A federal judge in Manhattan rejected it by Jonathan Stemple, rejected an effort by U.S. President Donald Trump and his adult children to send a lawsuit accusing them of exploiting their family name to promote a marketing scam into arbitration. In a Wednesday night decision concerning the American Communications Network, ACN. It's a multi-level marketing company that charged 499 bucks for a chance to sell video phones. Right? And they said the real goal was for the Trumps to enrich themselves, including through the receipt of millions of dollars in secret payments from 2005 to 2015. So now the Trumps are saying, well, let's, let's take this to arbitration. Because arbitration is the last refuge of the scoundrel corporation. And if these guys aren't a scoundrel corporation, I don't know what is. The fact of the matter is, Americans are dying right now, pushing up against 20,000. By Monday, it'll be well over 20,000 Americans are dead. And yet in China, they maxed out at 3,000 and stopped. And then people say, well, you can't trust Chinese statistics. They just, well, actually, China just locked down another city up near the Russian border. So, um, you know, but, you know, people say you can't trust their statistics. Well, you know, let's look at, uh, oh, let's see. How about New Zealand, where when this first happened, the prime minister said, okay, we're going to start testing and we're going to lock down the island. One dead, one person dead in New Zealand, one. Or South Korea. 300 and 323 a couple days ago. I mean, it's still well below 400 in South Korea, dead. In the United States, we're pushing 20,000. And now you've got Ron DeSantis, the Republican governor of Florida. This guy's got to have an IQ of 70. I mean, I, it just, I, I'm just baffled by this. He's saying, well, young people don't get, uh, they don't die from the coronavirus. And so, well, let's reopen the schools. Really? Nobody has told this guy that you can be contagious without dying and that you can take that home to your parents and your grandparents 
You can take that into the store where, where mom is going shopping. You can, or dad, you can take it. I mean, has nobody, is this guy really that stupid? Floridians, is Ron DeSantis as stupid as he seems? Georgians, you know, Brian Kemp, the guy who stole the election from Stacey Abrams uh, when he was Secretary of State by throwing a million people off the voting rolls. He just, you know, a couple days ago said, well, I just learned for the first time that people can transmit this virus before they get sick. Is he that stupid? Or is it that both of these guys watch nothing but Fox News? The CDC a couple days ago released a new policy that is, it seems, designed to kill people. Yeah, you can go to work as long as you're not sick. Really? I mean, this is now the CDC's policy for essential workers. How about testing people? We need testing. You know, Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo was just on TV going, we need testing. We don't know what's going on. We're running around in the, bl- in the dark. It's like America is stumbling around blindfolded while 20,000 Americans are, do- are dead or close to it, close to 20,000. You know, within a week, it'll be, it'll be 40,000. And people say, well, you know, New York is bending the curve. They didn't need as many ventilators as they thought they did. Uh, you know, I guarantee you Trump is going to say this today in his press conference. Not that I'll be watching. I won't. Yesterday, actually, I went downstairs and MSNBC was on and there was Donald Trump and I flipped it over to CNN and hey, no Trump. We stayed with CNN for the rest of the day. Uh, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy what's going on. And I think that the, this new CDC policy, and Mark Carlin is ranting about this over at buzzflash.com, which is a great news website, uh, news and opinion website, uh, just fried about it. I think that this new CDC policy and Donald Trump's his desire to open the country in May, I don't think that the Boris Johnson administration and the Donald Trump administration ever really gave up on the idea of herd immunity. Because this was actually the official policy of the UK up until a couple weeks ago. And I believe that this is still the official policy of the United States. It's just that Trump won't say it out loud. And the theory of herd immunity goes something like this. It's kind of a variation on how uh, J.P. Morgan, when he was Treasury Secretary in 1929 and 1930, advised Herbert Hoover to deal with the Great Depression. What J.P. Morgan said was, just let the, the weak companies fail. The economy will be stronger as a result of it because the weak companies will be gone and strong companies can take their place. That's, I'm paraphrasing. He said, liquidate everything, liquidate labor, liquidate. Yeah, he, there was a whole rant there. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't recall the entire thing. It's been years since I read it. You know, that was essentially the advice of the Treasury Secretary to the President of the United States in 1929, 30, 31, and early 32, and throughout 32, for that matter, 32 was the election year, was just, you know, don't get involved. Let nature take its course. And this is what the Health Secretary of, of the United Kingdom articulated a couple of weeks ago, and what I really and truly believe is going on in the mind of the Trump people in the White House and these Republican governors, is if they let the coronavirus sweep through their state, pick a state, let's say Kansas, 
Well, actually, in Kansas, you've got a governor who has locked down the state. And now you've got this board, this oversight board with five Republicans and two Democrats on it that just countermanded her orders and said, no, we're not going to lock down the state. You can't do that. And she's going to sue them at the Supreme Court. But here's how the Republicans are thinking. If we let this virus burn through Kansas rapidly, it'll kill a bunch of old folks in nursing homes. They're going to die anyway. This is their sales pitch. This is how they're thinking, right? Those folks are going to die anyway. Yes, it's going to kill a bunch of obese people, and it's going to kill a bunch of people who have high blood pressure. They're going to die anyway, too. They're going to die younger and sooner anyway. Maybe not for another 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years, but hey, they were going to die anyway. And what's going to be left are the young, healthy people who can work in the Trump hotels and the young, healthy, affluent people who can patronize the Trump hotels. There's science behind this. If you're willing to accept a couple of million dead Americans, and maybe even not that, maybe, maybe just a few hundred thousand dead Americans, if you're willing to accept that, you can have herd immunity. And, you know, there are people, epidemiologists, libertarian epidemiologists, who've been making this argument for weeks now that we really need to have herd immunity. Now, you know, the way we got herd immunity to polio, for example, in 1957 was Jonas Salk developed a vaccine. But before that, yes, we had somewhat herd immunity to things like measles and mumps and, and uh, rubella. The problem was, is, you know, there were still people dying from these diseases, which is why we vaccinate for them now. And Rupert Murdoch, this is absolutely amazing. An open letter was published, signed by dozens of journalists and teachers of journalism across the United States. An open letter to Rupert Murdoch and, and Lachlan Murdoch saying basically that the average age of their viewers is 65 and that they are putting these people's lives at risk by lying to them and providing misinformation. Well, you know, if your goal is to create herd immunity and you don't mind killing off you know, hundreds of thousands of people over 65, what they're doing makes perfect sense. What do you think? Do you think it's possible that, you know, Trump is actually pursuing the herd immunity strategy? I think it's, I think it's frankly likely. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. 
That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. David in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David, uh, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching this YouTube. I'd like to quickly just say what I think is going to happen when we get to the other side of this and um, we, open up, we open up the economy. Um, okay. uh, obviously, I'll, I'll be quick and you can tell me where I'm wrong or I'm right. I think the, I think the most formative fact is that our millennials, which is 100 million of them, are 23 to 35. And it's not being really reported, but that's, that's when families form. And they've been putting off family formation for a long time now. Um, through the student loans and, and the poor economy. Um, health insurance premiums are supposed to increase 40%. Um, right now there's a moratorium on rent, student loans, and mortgages. That would go away, which is a price support. Pay cuts um, 15 to 25%, although it's not in the news. I, I know from my friends they've been experiencing that. In 12 to 18 months, if we have a vaccine, it's not known if it'll be free or not. And the small businesses are going to have to justify the loans that they're getting at the present time and may perhaps pay them back faster than they think. Um, and then there's the unemployment factor. 20 to 50 million people could be out of work, some of whom are getting paid more than they work and don't want to go back, don't want to make, don't want to make less. That's, I'm not saying that on a moral standpoint. I'm just saying economically they, they might want to wait to get a job where they can pay their debts. Um, and a sizable number of people will also have immunity at the time, but the majority won't. 
this could create a disparity between people who have immunity and can go to work and those that don't. Here's what I think yep. is going to happen. The millennials are, aren't going to take it. They're going to take to the streets, and the women are going to be the most aggra- are going to be more aggressive and boldened than the men, or they're going to be more um, they're going to be more considerate of men protesting, which I've read that was a factor in the 30s. And it's really going to be bad if the power structure tries to get us to a war in Venezuela. I'll let you speak now. Thanks. Sure. Or a war in Iran. Um, It's interesting in China right now, it's the millennials, the Chinese version of millennials who are speaking out against the government and who are out protesting. And, uh, you know, we're doing minor riots, frankly, in the Wuhan area. Um, I, I don't have a crystal ball, David. What I do know is that we are functionally right now in terms of unemployment and the economy shutting down. We're in worse shape right now than the Great Depression. Now, the circumstances are quite different, and so it's really hard to draw analogies. Franklin Roosevelt got us out of the Great Depression, but it took a decade, and it was a lot of you know, bottom-up stuff, and ultimately World War II, you know, this massive government stimulus program got us out of the Great Depression. Now, the, the Fed is a lot smarter and a lot more powerful now than they were in the 1930s. In the 1930s, they were only 20 years old and uh, you know, didn't really know how to use the power that they had. And so the Fed has, has uh, declared that they're going to buy up to $4 trillion worth of bad corporate debt. So this, this wave of corporate bankruptcies that in the 1930s destroyed the banking system and shut down the country, that wave of corporate bankruptcies is probably just going to be absorbed by the Fed and it'll just seem to vanish from, from public view. I think the Fed has been buying stocks. They announced a few days ago that they were going to start buying equities, stocks, and I think that that's one of the things that's driving the stock market up. Um, you know, whether this is a Ponzi scheme, essentially, whether it's going to crash or whether this is a bridge that's going to get us to that period in time where there is a certain amount of herd immunity and there are people going back to work because they they are post, uh, you know, illness. Uh, I don't know. I think you could build a strong scenario for either one of them. But uh, I think as 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 political creatures and and the Democratic Party in particular, um, need to be planning for what the next steps are. You, you know, you, we can't just talk about we've got to do endless bailouts. There's got to be, you know, the next step after that. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, a rich conversation topic for conversation. David, thanks. That was a very thoughtful analysis. Charles in Hollywood, Florida. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Um, this is, hey, you're right. I agree with you 100% about they believing in the herd immunity. And it also pads their bottom line. Um, one of the reasons I think yep. Trump wants people to go back, um, church, go to church on Easter, is because you, uh, most people go to shopping. And um, this is going to be the second quarter, so the numbers would look good if a lot of Americans went shopping and, you know, went to church in their, East, in their Sunday best. And it, it would prop up his, the, the, I mean, the stock market would be encouraged if we start spending money. He would start, um, you know, spending his economy is doing good again. And most importantly, earlier this year, he cut people's food stamps, but he claimed that, People were you know, that he that um, Republicans was doing so good that they were getting people off of food stamps, and I just feel like you know some of these people is like you said diabetic, whatever health issues, and if, if they depend on Medicaid or any government um, you know reimbursement to help them, that's saving money on the bottom line. And 
you know, we got to come as a country and realize: Do we want this to be run as a business, where people, where you know, in a business when you're in a black, you know, people may be losing their lives and just to save a couple of dollars, and um, you know, that's not that, yep. that's really not how this country should be run. It should be run as the welfare of the people first. And, yeah. you know, that's all I got to say. That's how it is being run. I mean, the simple fact, like yesterday, Trump, oh, we don't need testing in America. Why don't we need testing? Well, if you're going to pursue a herd immunity strategy, you actually don't need testing. You just let, you know, unhealthy people, in quotes, older people, poorer people, let them die. And then the strong, young, white guys can, I mean, this is like the end of the Turner Diary. You know, they can triumph. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Noel in Corpus Christi, Texas. Hey, Noel, what's up? I'm self-employed, but just myself. I'm contracted with a company that does veterans exams for disabilities. The VA has stopped the exams because they're in-person exams. I don't know of any program that would allow me to get, I can't get unemployment because technically I'm not employed. I'm a contracted person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Any suggestions or thoughts on that? Congresswoman Jayapal said that there is is a provision in this last uh, $2 trillion bill that they passed specifically for gig workers, contract workers, um, you know, people who get 1099s. And uh, so I would encourage you to uh, maybe call your member of Congress, even if it's a Republican. Um, eh. I don't know Corpus Christi. I don't know who represents you. And just say, you know, yeah, I'm Republican. an independent contractor. Can you give me some help? Yeah, you know, Republicans want to help their constituents, too. They, they want to get reelected. So, um, you know, just don't <laughs> don't call up and say I'm a Democrat. <laughs> but right. but there are there are there are apparently provisions in that bill. And I don't I'm not uh, well informed enough to be able to speak beyond that. But but that's what represents Paul said. Noel, good luck with that. I wish you the very best. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Briefly, I would like to go back to my job if it still exists in the future. Mm. I miss the people I work with. But uh, a company, a small business that had about 170 or so employees is now down to a skeleton force of nine. And uh, you just miss the clients and, and being with other people around uh, from all over the place on a daily basis. Um, but what I called about was uh, to add on to a point that was made in your conversation with the congresswoman you know after 18,000 lies there's no surprises as to how deep trump will go to uh, obfuscate and conceal and rabble rouse but this business about chinese americans and others of asian descent being attacked and beaten uh because supposedly they brought the virus here uh, and this is being egged on by Trump's rhetoric. It's completely false. Uh, within the last day or two, I believe both the New York Times and Business Insider had articles that say the uh, scientific analysis of the coronavirus in New York shows that almost all of it came to New York from European travelers, the European version of the virus. Right. Right. And so Probably Trump and Italy people and Spain, have yeah. to, they have to know this, but... Uh, I think it's also a measure of their desperation because the little bump up he got in approval rating last week has already started to nose down. And 
I think we all have to be very vigilant for the next seven months because they will stop at nothing, literally. Yeah. And this this use of the media, you know, threatening the CNN that they can't get experts on to inform the American public if they don't carry uh, dear leader, you know, Hugo Trump's uh, uh, speeches is just is, is just uh, beyond the pale. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely disgusting. And and, you know, I, I agree. There's there's like no there, there are no boundaries for this guy. Yeah. Thank you very much for the call, George. Alan in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Alan, what's up? Well, I was uh, watching CBS this morning, and uh, Gail King was interviewing David Solomon of Goldman Sachs. And they've decided to enter the small loan, small business loan market. And this is on top of uh, the Feds bailing out the small businesses. So they're going to dedicate $500 million, uh, of Goldman Sachs' money to help the small business owner. Now, the last time I checked, the reason uh, that a corporation exists is to make a profit. And nobody can accuse Goldman Sachs of being altruistic. Right. The, the federal government uh, loans them money at less than 1%. They can loan the money out at a higher percentage, number one. Number two, the federal government backstops those loans. So if those small businesses fail, Goldman Sachs will be made whole by the Treasury Department. Yeah, of course. They're, you know, I don't know the specifics or details on Goldman Sachs, but all of these banks are being backstopped on these loans. I mean, it's just the, the, the Treasury and the Fed are both just like pouring money. I think uh, your Richard Wolff's analogy of, of just spraying a couple of gallons of oil into an engine, you know, a car engine, in the hopes that some of it will make its way into the pistons um, is, is a pretty damn good analogy to what's going on. Alan, thank you for the call, and uh, thanks for raising the issue. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Brian in Roselle, Illinois. I just wanted to uh, share an observation I heard in another media outlet by a hedge fund manager based primarily in Silicon Valley. And the point he was making was the previous conservative theory of shrinking government and cutting taxes is completely out the window. That is gone. Right. And what's going to happen is all levels of government are going to be spending unprecedented amounts of money. He says unbelievable amounts of money. Primarily the federal government. It's very realistic that to get our economy back on track, our federal government's got to spend basically twice what we already have in national debt. Maybe another twenty. Right. My prediction two weeks ago was ten trillion dollars. Right. So his observation was both sides know this. The Republicans know this, Mm -hmm. and of course we know this. So the real fight is over who's going to control it. That's where the real fight's yep. at. And the Republicans And how it gets spent. I mean, this is this is this next piece right. of legislation. Mitch McConnell is saying we want to give money to the banks and we want absolutely no oversight. And the Democrats are saying, no, you want to give money to small lending institutions, community banks, and we're going to have you know vigorous oversight because these smaller banks are the ones that operate in minority communities and big cities and things like this. And and in some rural areas, for that matter, um, you know, that are not served by large banks. And but right. the, but the uh, Republicans just want to give it all to the billionaires and the fat cats. Well, as it stands right now, President Trump basically can give away five hundred billion dollars any way he wants to. <laughs> That's right. And we're we're set to spend trillions. And, and he's put his daughter in charge more. of it, by the way. Right. But this is going to be a fight like heck for the next presidential mm-hmm. election in November. And I think the Democratic Party is failing on their messaging strategy. It's just, you know, Trump does his, his circus show every day, and we're not really hearing a unified, coherent message from anybody on how serious this is, what it's going to take to right the economy, and why the Democrats need to be the ones to do it. And someone's got to do it. And I don't know if Joe Biden's not up to it or what, but someone's got to get out there 
and pound that message home. Yeah, yeah, I am with you, Brian. Joanne in Bellhaven, North Carolina. Hey, Joanne, what's on your mind today? The caller before you kind of alluded to $500 billion that, that is in the stimulus package, and mm-hmm. that now I'm really worried because the, the IG has been fired by Trump. He was supposed to be have some right. and, oversight. And he put Ivanka Trump in charge of, of passing out the money, by the way. Do you think any of it's going to go to her brother? Everything's going to go to the brother, the family, and the friends. I'm really worried about the Congress. What role will they play? How will they have some control or have some say as to what's happening with this money? Well, they did two things. They put an IG, an inspector general, in charge, and Trump and his signing statement said he's going to ignore him, and now he's fired him. And then the second thing they did is they created a, a, a joint uh, or a, a congressional committee, a bipartisan congressional committee to provide oversight, but no congressional committees are meeting right now. So bottom line, Trump gets to use this as a slush fund, and Ivanka gets to pass it out to her friends and family. Yes, because we know that Trump has, is, is, is broke. He has no money. And we know now that this might be what right. he is looking for to, to, to bring himself back to what he wants to be. He wants to be like, like a, um, uh, you know, any of the other billionaires that he, that he admires. He's not one, and he wants to be one. So I'm just, I mean, I, don't, I cannot believe this is happening in our country. I really cannot believe this. And, and what yeah. can be done as well, a citizen? Can we, I'm going to call uh, the, uh, the, uh, Nancy Pelosi of that committee. I'm going to call as many people as I can. But who would you recommend that I call to keep calling and writing? I would be calling my friends and family, Joanne. I think that that's the more important thing right now. The Democrats are, are united in their outrage and their fury about this. The big thing is, I mean, you're in North Carolina. You need to make sure that you're getting a vote by mail ballot this fall. And all of your friends need to be sure that they have they have signed up. And even if it takes a doctor's slip, call your doctor now that they have signed up for vote by mail for absentee ballots or whatever it's called in your state. Um, there is an election coming and the Republicans are going to try to contest this election and throw it into the House of Representatives where Trump will get reelected. And and, you know, the only way around that is to have a robust enough turnout in the fall that they can't contest it. And that means you know, I mean, there is going to be a second wave of this virus and it's going to be in the fall and just in time for the election. I mean, it's 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 predictable given, you know, how successful the shelter in place is going. So what we need to do is be telling every single person we know, and particularly the people who live in red states or in states where it's harder to vote by mail uh, to get their absentee ballots. Get ready. There's a damn election coming and there's very, very little time, very little time. Joanne, I share your outrage, and, and uh, I, I honor and congratulate your, your desire to do something about it. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program, all three hours of our program, anytime you'd like? Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show, anytime you want and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. George in Portland. Hey, George, what's up? Hey, Tom, I think you really answered it just before the break. Um, I'm a small business owner in Portland here, Oregon. And I went to the bank, you know, I got in, got in there early on to try to get some, the Paycheck Protection Program going for my employees. 
And I was basically told that it was on hold. Um, it's They've just received a flood of, of too many applications. So I'd love to hear from your listeners. That has anyone, act, a small, an actual small business owner, been able to take advantage of it? Or has anyone seen their $1,200 checks? Has anyone seen anything from this government? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I don't think anybody's seen a $1,200 check yet. It's going to be another week or two before they said that they would have them available. Uh, that was going to be mid-April. But, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, we're not applying, so I can't, I can't tell you from personal experience. But, sure, we'll toss that out there, George. If anybody listening you know, has heard anything, give us a shout. Uh, well, right now it's probably going to be difficult because the show is going to be over in 15 minutes and every line is full. But uh, you certainly you can call tomorrow or on Friday. Um, thanks a lot for the call, George. John in Langley, uh, Virginia, or Washington, excuse me. In Langley, I want to express hey, gratitude. I want to express gratitude for two cycles of Bernie changing the country. I want to express gratitude for your show. And I, the whole show seems about money. I have addicts in my family. That man made me cry. Don't make me cry. But I had enough money to bail out people. And there's a difference. And then there's the person about the zoonotic diseases. I have a degree in zoology. Zoonotic is what they taught me. Mm-hmm. And it, this is time for another Upton Sinclair uh, talking about the slaughterhouses, and, but this time it's about a zoonotic disease. Then also, we're talking about all the pain of the people on this fictional money that we, it's a full faith and credit of us, and it's private banks that are constricting our monetary. We constantly are being told, Tom, we're constantly being told, how are you going to pay for that? How are you going to pay for that? Medicare for all. I'm sick. And without Medicare, I would be bankrupt. I would be bankrupt. So mm-hmm. this whole concept of money taking control and the austerity, I mean, it's, I'm trying to express gratitude for the good things like Bernie, your show, which is like a constitutional assembly of the people, so we can talk about these issues and let the people know this money thing is a fictional thing that's controlled by private banks. Wrap your head around that. All this pain of our country is caused by private banks. Yeah, although the, banks. the simple fact is, John, that the amount of money that private banks can create, because money is created when money is lent, and when money is paid back, mo- the money supply contracts. It expands and contracts based on these things. And, and, but the, the terms of that expansion and contraction that are done by the private banks how wide they can expand things, how small they can contract them, and the incentives to them to do so are defined by the Fed. So it's not like, you know, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and, and Wells Fargo are sitting around saying, let's move the money supply to this. It really is the Fed. John, thank you for your kind words. I get your comment. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Quickly, I want to remind everyone listening, because you've got the best listeners in the world, in my opinion, and yourself, it is time to either reread or read Albert Camus' brilliant book, The Plague, or La Peste, mm. if you can read in the original French. This mm-hmm. is the time to read this book. Many of the great literati have determined this is probably the most important book of the entire latter half of the 20th century, which is saying quite a lot, given how much good writing occurred. But it is an extraordinarily important book. Assume you've read it. If not, it's time. I have not. You've you simply confess. got to read it. The whole story, really, which takes place in a small town in Algeria, interestingly, French mm-hmm. colony at that time. Dr. Rieu... And this is apropos of something you were saying a few days ago about that hospital in New York that was firing workers for speaking out. Mm -hmm. He was asked in the middle of this whole 
pandemic that they are undergoing. What is your takeaway from all of this? How do we get through it? And his, his simple but not so simple answer is human decency is the only way to, to survive this. They and have that, a severe deficiency of that in the White House. Yes, right exactly, Sadly. we do. And that's a reminder, and, and, and really, I think you're going to really be glad you read it. Did you see the uh, editorial board's opinion piece in the New York Times this morning? I don't recall. Refresh my mind. My Lord. I read the New York they Times. They retitled it. Sure I read it was originally under an opinion piece. They retitled it and stuck it under editorials. And now they're calling it the America We Need. I swear to you, I thought I was reading some bizarre child of Marx, Bernie, and the Communist Manifesto all rolled into one, which I found to be <laughs> incredible. Coming from the New York Well, this is what I keep saying, Nicholas, that, you know, America is not going to go back to neoliberalism. That, you know, that dog don't hunt anymore. I mean, you know, from Reagan to Clinton, it's it's dead. I surely hope so, as you do. For how long do I hope so? Since the 60s. I'm ancient. Um, But uh, let us hope that this could be the reset we've been needing for so long. But to find this written by the editorial board of the New York Times, I found to be absolutely flabbergasting. Yeah. Was brilliant, and and, yeah, and quickly, I'll if you have, to, have another I'll second, have yeah, second? sure. Um, a terrific yeah. interview, an hour of the great Yanis Varoufakis speaking mm-hmm. with the English musician and artist Brian Eno about exactly what you just referred to about this reset that is so badly needed, not just in the United States but globally. We've got to rethink mm-hmm. this whole thing. And, and get back to what is truly needed and deserved by we the people worldwide. Yeah, I mean, just before Spain got the coronavirus, uh, you know, from 2011 to I think uh, 2017 or 2018, they had yeah. a, a right-wing conservative prime minister who radically cut funding for their national health service, closed hospitals, closed hospital beds, um, you know, yeah. imposed austerity on Spain. And I think the Spaniards are looking at this going, what the hell? <laughs> you know? right. So, hey, hey, Nicholas, I know you're, you're a moderator in our chat room. And I just got a note from uh, Nigel, who, who, you know, who, who helps run our, uh, all of our web stuff. He says, our sex oh, bots have morphed into political bots. We're being invaded by numerous automated bots trying to cause yeah. friction. And then there's the trolls. And, and I guess you guys blocked out something like 50 or 60 of these bots yesterday. You're doing yeoman's work, Nicholas. Thank you so much for well, your help. And, and I don't know about that. But I'm barely hanging in here. Mexico is undergoing its own initial stages of all of this. And that's going to lead to a lot of problems here. But whatever. China's helping greatly. They're sending two plane loads of assistance every week directly from China to Mexico now. That's going to help greatly. Wow. So ventilators, yeah. everything, yeah. all the PPE stuff. And let me just ask, you know, the people who are participating in our chat room over on YouTube, because, you know, uh-huh. we broadcast the show simultaneously on YouTube, and, and that's where our chat room is now. Don't feed the trolls. Don't take their bait. Just ignore them right. and let the moderators deal with them. Nicholas, thanks again for the, for the great man, work um, you're doing you know, for our show. Keep up the great work and, you're doing. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's uh, great talking to you, Nicholas. And uh, stay safe down there in Mexico. AB in Lake Forest, Illinois. Hey, AB, what's up? Well, we will continue to see the collapse of the whole financial system because the structure is totally corrupted with not accurate pricing model or inaccurate 
you know, valuation of services and products. And it's it's uh, not to mention artificial shortages, A.B., but caused by, you know, hospitals running on a just in time basis and you know the loss of a half a million hospital beds out of the million and a half that we had when Reagan came into office. We're down to only a million nationwide now. And the the shortage of doctors and nurses and physicians assistants caused by, you know, the American Medical Association, in the case of doctors, um, limiting the supply of American doctors to keep their wages high. Yeah, and there's a certain irony to this whole thing that something so small is going to collapse something so big. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. And and it's an issue that, you know, when the dust settles, I mean, there's a lot that a lot of uh, uh, reconciliation and reckoning that's going to happen when the dust settles. And, uh, oh. you know, it can't come too soon for me. Uh, A.B., thanks for the call. It's good to hear from you. Christopher in Vancouver, Washington. Hey, Christopher, you're right across the river from me. What's up? Hey, I just want to kind of update you on something going on here, and I've been watching it very closely. Our mortgage uh, on our house here is through Chase, and mm-hmm. I've been trying to contact them for days and days and days. Finally got through to them by calling my local branch, they, and I wanted to apply for the mortgage assistance uh, program that they have. And, I've at, mm-hmm. and I asked for three things only. One, to delay our payments and add it on to the end of our, our loan. Right. You know, say, for instance, if it's 90 days, just add 90 days to the end of our loan. The other thing I asked for was, the other thing I asked for was to, no penalties, no fees for, for delay of payment, and third, third, I asked for do not um, report this this delay to the credit reporting companies. Right. Okay, I finally got the paperwork that I needed. I sent it in. Just two days ago, I read a letter from Jamie Dimon to the shareholders, and they, they he said basically they were they were going to do what I asked for, including no more stock buybacks during this time period. So uh-huh. I said, great, that's that's great news. Okay, this is what exactly I asked for. He put that exactly in the letter as if I wrote him to myself. But then mm-hmm. yesterday, I did some research, and I found some information where Chase is going to do that, but here's the caveat. At the end of the t- term, say it's 90, 120 days, I will have a balloon payment. <laughs> so... And you mean at the end of the uh, at the end of the pause, not at the end of your mortgage? Correct. Huh. And so, I was Brilliant. very disturbed by that because Chase spent over eighty billion dollars for stock buybacks. They squandered right. that bailout money and their tax their tax cut, and now they want me to do a balloon payment. I mean, so so I guess their their future plan is. We want people to be in debt, and we want to we want to foreclose. I mean, does this make any sense at all? So no, it doesn't. What I did yesterday- um, from the point of view of you know what's good for the public and what's good for consumers, from the point of view of Chase stockholders and and you know very very rich people like Jamie Dimon, who is one of you know America's uh, uh, most grotesque oligarchs. Um, I, I'm sure it makes perfect sense. You know, they're they're having to borrow market money out in the uh, in the public market in order to finance your loan. And uh, they're paying very, very little for that money, a quarter of a point or whatever. But still, they're having, you know, their expenses don't stop just because your loan did. And so they're going to say, we're not going to eat that. 
uh, you know, that small hiccup of expenses for 90 days or 120 days or whatever it turns out to be. We're going we're gonna to force you to eat that. And we want our profit, by the way, and we want it in this quarter or at least in this year so we don't end up having a bad year so that, you know, good old Jamie doesn't look bad in, you know, when compared to other corporate CEOs. That's what makes sense to me. I, I think that that's their thinking, Christopher. Yeah, I think it's morally it's wrong. It's very disturbing, Tom, that during this time, that, that this is something they, they would do. Yeah. Well, and, and Chase also gets to tell the entire world how wonderful they are, and then the only people who know how, how they're screwing their customers are their customers. And it's only a small subset of their customers who actually have mortgages with them and who might be in trouble. So, you know, they can, they can afford to piss off 5 or 10% of the American population, or probably less than that, as long as the rest of the American population thinks they're wonderful. Will Donald Trump and his enablers ever face accountability for the coronavirus? You know, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney lied us into a war that cost 5,000 American lives and 200,000 Iraqi lives, destroyed the lives of at least 5 to 10 million Iraqis, destabilized a region, threw the United States into trillions of dollars of debt, and not to mention tens of thousands of wounded Americans. And they not only suffered no consequence for it, George W. Bush became buddies with Michelle Obama, Dick Cheney. Both of them got big book contracts. They got millions of dollars. Cheney's stock in Halliburton, which was nearly bankrupt when he became vice president, is worth millions, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars. Dick Cheney's a very, very rich man as a result of this. Paul Wolfowitz, who was the secretary of defense, is now the president of the World Bank. Thomas Friedman, David Brooks, these, these editorial writers, they kept their well-paid jobs. The, the, the hustlers on Fox News who sold us this war, they're still around. You know, so is this going to happen again? Are Larry Kudlow and Kellyanne Conway and Mike Pence and Donald Trump and Rush Limbaugh and Hannity and Ingram, are they going to get away with this? Devin Nunes saying, oh yeah, dude, it's no problem, just go out to a restaurant. Matt Gates in Florida wearing a gas mask to make fun of the coronavirus. I mean, are they going to get away with it? Jerry Falwell Jr. refusing to close his university and inflicting on the on the small town next door death. These people are members of a death cult. And I fear they're going to get away with it the same way Nixon got away with his crimes, the same way Reagan got away with his crimes, the same way that Bush got away with his crimes. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.